Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. Amen. He is risen. He Hallelujah. is risen indeed. There we go. There we go. All my liturgical friends know the right answer when we do the call and response. Let's do it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There it is. Good morning, generations. All my best friends out there and all the friends that we haven't even got a chance to meet yet. We are so glad that you are with us today. I am so grateful just to have this world of technology here that allows us to be together even in the midst of self-isolation and social distancing and all this kind of quarantining. I tell you what, we get to spend Easter morning in your homes. So thank you for letting us in. I love what you've done with the place. Looks really great. No, no, I, don't. And I up. can't believe you all dressed up. Everyone's in wow. their Easter best. Wait a minute. <laughs> Easter Wait. pajamas, yeah, today. Oh man, but it is great. It's just we're so grateful that you are joining us in this live stream service of Easter, the celebration, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came, he died for our sins, he died for us, he died for you and me, and then he rose again. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's good stuff. That's good stuff. Keep going. Oh, man. I like, the, I like this resurrection energy Woo. you have I know it, this I know. morning. That, that video is awesome. That pumps me up. Always, <laughs> he, was doing, he was doing full-on air guitar we, yeah. is what you did not see, <laughs> but it was great. It's good stuff. Uh, later, by the way, uh, we're going to have communion later in the service. So, you know, send somebody into the kitchen to get you some bread and a little cup of something so you can uh, join us for that. It's going to happen in a few minutes later on. Yeah. yeah. And also, uh, at the end of service... Don't forget, you can go to our website or go to Facebook or go to YouTube, and the kids have their own special video. Miss Amy has prepared an Easter morning Kids World video. And if you came by, we made um, over 100 family Easter bags. If you had gotten one or given one to a neighbor, the activity is in the bag, and you can have an egg hunt. We put that in the bag for you, so I hope you're able to utilize all those resources and have a really special and meaningful Easter for the kids. For sure. Amy Tice, we just thank God for her. She is just one of the hardest working, most creative, talented people here at Generations. She is pure And love. putting out so much good content for our kids. And this time when the kids can't come and get to be in kids' world together and play, oh, just, it's great. Because this is, we're a Generations Church, right? We're a church of, for everybody, for every member of the family. And so we thank God for her. But praise the Lord. We got some good stuff coming up today in a little while. Brother Ivy's going to come up and bless our socks off. Woo-hoo! I can't wait. I can't wait for that. I can't Ivy wait for that. Ivy Bell is in the house today. Amen. But we're going to spend a, a few minutes. We're going to look in the Bible and see what the scriptures have to say to us, what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. It's, it's going to be good. It's always an, Easter Sunday is always an extra exciting day to dive into the scriptures because there is a, a resurrection word in there for us today, a resurrection word. And isn't resurrection itself a beautiful word? Because truthfully, Mm. Jesus would be worthy of worship even without it. Yes, he would. I mean, even his life was worthy of worship, his death. Mm. But the resurrection, it is the literal icing on top of the cake. It is. It It changes. It's just just the extravagant good God. It changes everything because that's when we are faced with the reality of a God that cannot die chose to die, Mm -hmm. chose to withhold his own power Mm -hmm. 
to die for us in order to redeem us and reconcile oh, us back to himself. And then to let us know he did that, he comes back to life to let us know that he does that by his own resurrection power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. It is an awesome, awesome yeah, listen, day. I'm going to sit down and let you preach. No, 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 no I'm not going to preach, but I was reminded well, uh, this week uh, when our sweet daughter came to live with us, she was four years old. Mm -hmm. And that first Easter that we had her, we, uh, my mom had bought her this Easter storybook, and it would tell the kind of the last week of Jesus's life every day. And the first time that she came to the page where she saw Calvary, she saw the crosses on the hill. I said, Adeline, do you know what that is? And she said, that's a plus sign. <laughs> and I said, hey, you're right. It looks like a plus sign. That's a cross. And so I taught her. She called it a plus sign for quite a while until she called it a cross. But you know what I think? Mm. I think she was right. Mm. I think everything about that cross. It's all positive. It's all. <laughs> it, what Jesus took, he took on all the negative to give mm. you all the positive. Wow. He took on every subtraction he could upon himself, subjugated himself to everything negative. And then what does he do but deposit everything good and positive and holy and wonderful and every promise is ours. The cross is the plus sign. Amen. And it only serves to add eternal life to you that begins right now. That is so good. That is so good. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right. All right, well, hopefully you're sitting there. You got your Bibles, you got your coffee, you got your Easter breakfast tacos in front of you. If you, if you did it upright, that's what you got there. And if you have your Bibles today, just turn on over with us to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be uh, reading out of to begin with, Luke 24. And we'll start it right there in verse 1. Let's look at it together. But on the first day of the week at early dawn... They came to the tomb. He's talking about the women there, and he'll name them later. Taking the spices that they had prepared. They came to prepare the spices for Jesus' body. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. These are angels, we understand. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. In verse 6, it says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Jesus had been telling them this for, for years. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven, the eleven disciples, and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the, the apostles. See, all, the, all, all the men are kind of hiding out, right? But the women, they're at, their, they're at the grave. But these words seemed to them, the disciples, an idle tale. They did not believe them. Uh, on the one hand, we're dealing kind of here with a, you know, we, we've talked about this before. This is a sexist culture. And uh, the women's testimony back then had no credibility. Even in a court of law, they weren't allowed to testify unless it was corroborated by a man. Uh, and so that's kind of what's going on. The disciples are still, to some degree, a product of their culture, you know. So they're not really sure about what the women are saying here. By the way, this is another piece of evidence 
that the story, the resurrection story is true. This is more evidence here because for the men who would be recording and spreading this gospel for the years after this, this is not the kind of detail you would put in, you would make up and put in. This is, would be more of an embarrassing detail you'd rather skip over. But they put it in there, they put it in the story. And uh, so it's just there. Now, there's another reason too that the disciples had a hard time understanding the resurrection, which we are going to get to in a little bit, in just a few minutes. Let's keep reading in verse 12. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what he, or what had happened. Can we just bow our heads for a second and pray? I just want to invite the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father God, Holy Spirit. Lord, let this message come alive to us this morning. Lord, many of us have heard this message many, many times, but God, let it never grow old to us. Let it never become too familiar. Father, this morning I ask, just give us ears to hear as though for the first time and help us to just see new dimensions of this beautiful proclamation of Jesus, this incredible revelation, Lord God, so, so that it's not just some historical fact that we, we know about, but it is a reality that we live in, Lord God. Oh, yes, come Holy Spirit, take over in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right. Now, the room is mostly quiet here where I am at Generations Church, so you're going to just have to yell out into the universe. So, you know, just yell it out so I can hear you. Here we go. Today, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while, you know, the cultural, secular kind of part of the holiday of Easter, uh, all of the, the bunnies and the eggs and the dinner with all of our family and friends, all of that's kind of being put on hiatus for a while because of, of this global pandemic that we, are, we find ourselves in. The church's celebration of resurrection has never been more appropriate or more crucial for the world. I want you to understand this. You know, Easter, as far as like all of the, the normal Easter stuff, it kind of feels like it's on hiatus. But resurrection is not on hiatus. We're not waiting to celebrate resurrection. I, <laughs> it was funny, this week, this past couple of weeks, I actually have heard church leaders uh, in this country, around the country, talking about calling off Easter until like the troubles are over, and then we can get back together again. And I just thought, oh Lord, what a, a privileged modern Western religious perspective to have. Do you realize that the hardships that we are facing right now, and they are real, but these hardships are just a taste of the hardships that Christians around the world have faced continually for 2,000 years. This is a taste of it. I mean, this is really the first time in my generation's memory that our Easter, we've been forced to, you know, face an Easter that's interrupted by, by turmoil. But guys, war and plagues and famine, persecution, these things have always been a reality for Christians over these two millennia. And not one of those generations ever said, well, we can't have Easter because there's turmoil, right? Let's wait till times are better. For, most gener for those generations, that would have been a long, never-ending wait because times didn't get better, right, for some of them. In, in fact, for many Christians in our generation in, of this world, in different parts of the world, that uh, for them, persecution and danger due to war or famine going on around them, that is an everyday reality, and not one of those people would ever consider it a reason not to celebrate resurrection. And that's what the, really this is about, because we're not really, we're not Easter people. We are resurrection people. We are resurrection people. Amen? Amen. 
Resurrection, think about it. Resurrection can only happen when there has been death in the first place. Resurrection means something has gone terribly wrong. Something needs to be made right again, right? That's what resurrection, something has died and needs to be made alive again. So we celebrate resurrection in the midst of turmoil because Jesus was risen from the dead in the midst of turmoil. And that turmoil, by the way, it didn't end on Easter morning. It didn't end on the Monday morning after the Easter morning, right? The, the disciples still woke up to a world full of oppression and injustice, all this kind of thing. But this morning, as we wake up also to a world that is, that is uh, suffering from a pandemic, plus an incredible amount of, of sickness and death happening, and plus the fear and uncertainty of an economy that's kind of basically stopped in its tracks. Um, and on top of that, the, the heartache that I, I understand, I truly feel, uh, that comes from not getting to be with you and see your beautiful faces with my own eyes. And yet, resurrection people celebrate. We celebrate right? Because the world needs to hear the gospel more than ever. This is the gospel the world needs right now. Resurrection is God's assurance that he has destroyed the sting of death. Amen? And that the grave no longer has the last word. Let me say that again. Resurrection is God's assurance that he has destroyed the sting of death and the grave no longer has the last word. None of this going on around you is going to have the last word in your story. That's good news. That's resurrection good news. Resurrection people, we don't, we don't pause when it gets dark outside. We shine brighter. We shine brighter we, because, because we were made for this. I keep telling people this. Man, the church is going to get through this because the church was made for this. This is why we are here. We were created for the battle, and we are, we are in the thick of it. I know that. This is why Jesus came. This is why he died and why he rose again, to bring hope to the hopeless, to, to, bring, to bring comfort and healing to the sick. Amen? To bring comfort to the anxious and the afflicted and to the fearful. But... All of this does bring up a a good question that we have to answer. What does the resurrection mean to us? What did it accomplish? Why resurrection? The reason I ask this is because uh, how we answer this can reveal whether we we understand the fullness of what Jesus did or whether we may, may have missed one of the greater points of the resurrection. So, you know, for, for some Christians, if you ask them, why is the resurrection important? Why do we celebrate resurrection? They would tell them, well, the resurrection is worth celebrating because it's, it's a comforting reminder that there's life after death. And there's nothing wrong with that. I agree with that. It's definitely, we definitely believe in that. The, the Apostle Paul calls that our great hope, you know, of life after death. It's a comforting reminder of that. But you know what? Even the Jews and the, the, the people before the resurrection believed that when we died, we'd go to be, most of them believed when we died, we'd go to be with the Father. And so the resurrection is more than that. That's kind of a narrow view of resurrection, and it actually has very little, if you notice, to do with this life. So if, if that's all resurrection means to you, that we get to go to heaven when we die, then when there's trouble and heartache in this world, as we're experiencing right now, celebrating Easter feels kind of out of place, right? It feels kind of irrelevant. Because what good does it do you to know that you're going to go to heaven when you've been laid off from your job right now? When, when there's a real threat of you or your loved one becoming dangerously ill, right? Or you can't see your friends and family in, in person, 
But see, the resurrection does more than just tell us what happens when we die. The resurrection, resurrection transforms the way we live. It transforms how we live. Listen to this in Romans uh, chapter 6. It says this, As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's talking about right now. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, you and me, must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Oh, wow. So this is important. That means Jesus' resurrection is not just a comfort for the dying. This is a mission statement to the living. The resurrection is a mission statement to the living. It is a command for us to follow in his footsteps into the mission that he, was, that he came to do. And so what was this mission that Jesus came to do? Uh, he tells us over in Luke uh, chapter 4 in verse 18, Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. And he found this passage that really best summed up what his mission was and who he was. And so we should probably pay attention to it. And this is the first thing he says in Luke 4, quoting from Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit. Oh, man, that's that, the pneuma. We, we talked about this uh, it, about a month ago or so, it, or longer than that. It, it feels like years ago in our, in our series at the beginning of the year, 2020, when we talked about our identity. But the spirit, or in the Hebrew, is that ruach Yahweh, the, the breath of God, ruach Yahweh. And uh, the, it's that spirit that hovered over the surface of the waters at the very beginning of time. It's the, it's the life energy of God. It, it's what seized and animated Jesus when he was alive. This is the same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. So animated by this Ruach Yahweh, uh, what does Jesus do during his life? Well, he goes on to tell us. He brings good news to the poor, liberty to captives, sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed. In other words, he is bringing God's love, God's good news to those who are suffering in this life. This is what the breath of God does through Jesus. After the resurrection, we're told that he breathed on his disciples over in John chapter 20. He breathed on his disciples, imparting this same Holy Spirit and drawing them into his mission, right? He gave them the great commission to go and make disciples because he breathed on them. So that means to be resurrection people is to continue living as this, the part of this living body of Christ in the world and filled with the breath of God. We are filled with his breath, his spirit, even in the face of suffering and death and despair. Look, we both know there is going to be a day when you and I breathe our last breath, right? We're going to breathe our last one. And the Bible tells us we get to go be with Christ, you know, in the spiritual realm. But resurrection people have a mission here in this life. We celebrate because of what it does to us in this life. To, we get to bring the kingdom of heaven to every dark corner of the earth, to, to live a life that is filled with his presence, filled with that breath of God, his abundance, his animating spirit. That, my friends, is a life worth living, and that is a reason worth celebrating. Hallelujah. The resurrection shows us the bigger picture. We get to see the big picture here. The resurrection, it's an invitation to, to see beyond today's pain and today's sorrow and today's suffering. Now, it doesn't, we don't say see beyond in that we, we are blind to the suffering of other people. Not at all. 
Not at all. What it does is empower us to actually show more mercy and more kindness and love than we ever could when we were just completely self-absorbed with our own pain, right? This is resurrection. This is the event that inspires and molds and shapes the life of every Christian believer. This is why we celebrate. Today, we get to carry on a long tradition of Christians who answered the call of the empty grave. Looking back in history, uh, in long ago, around the year 250 AD, the first great persecution of Christians, we're told by historians, it coincided with a plague that was happening in Rome under the emperor Decius. And uh, like, you know, emperors like to do, they like to blame, place the blame on someone else. Uh, So Decius blamed the Christians, and he was actively killing the Christians during this time. Now, his blame, of course, was unfounded because the Christians were, were dying of the plague just like everybody else. However, what historians of the day tell us is something really, really amazing. That at that time, the ruling elites of Rome they fled. They headed for the hills. And anybody who was in power headed for the hills. Some of the, prof- all the professionals headed for the hills. And especially the doctors. It tells us that the doctors and physicians, they left. So people are dying in the streets and trying to go to the, the clinics or, you know, the equivalent of that. And the doctors are all gone. And unlike everybody else, the Christians in the city stayed. They stayed to take care of the suffering, those suffering from the plague. And they functioned basically as as the doctors and physicians, nursing people back to health, taking care. They were the caregivers of their pagan neighbors. The Christians were doing this and even putting themselves in danger. And we are told that this selfless love led to Christians dying in a much greater proportion during that time than than other people in the city. But what was even more amazing is it inspired more people to become Christians. And we're told that the church's numbers exploded around that time with people who witnessed their sacrificial love and wanted, and wanted to know what, what is this life that they live, this resurrection life that is even more important to them than getting sick with the plague here. This is who Christ followers are. This is who we've always been, even when we sometimes have forgotten what it's all about. Another time in the 16th century, Martin Luther uh, refused to flee the city when the bubonic plague hit Germany. And he stayed instead to minister to the sick, even when members of his own family and friends were dying. He stayed. You know, in, in recent days, in our own plague that we're in, some of you may have heard the story of 72-year-old Italian priest Giuseppe Bardelli. Giuseppe Baradelli, he's a, a, a much beloved priest in his town, uh, and uh, he was determined to reflect the, this other-centered love of Jesus, no matter what, even when he himself became very sick with COVID-19. It struck, you know, you've heard, seen the stories, northern Italy especially just got hit really, really hard, and so the hospitals were flooded, uh, supplies were in short demand, and, and so he decided to show Christ-likeness when he's in the hospital by giving up his ventilator so that other people could live. This is the epitome of selflessness. This is who resurrection people are. It's it's what we do. We rejoice at the chance to shine God's love into the world, to show mercy to other people, no matter the cost to ourselves, because we know we already have eternal life. We are walking in this eternal life, and there's no greater honor than to get to reflect Jesus' love to the world. And that's exactly what Father Betterdelli did. 
up until the moment he died on March 15th of last year. And in the town where he was, they couldn't have any funerals. And so we are told that throughout his town of Bergamo, Italy, that the next day at the same moment around noon, that hundreds if not thousands of people opened up the windows of their apartments where they were in quarantine and all clapped hands and celebrated his life, this life of Father Berardelli. And Father Berardelli, Berardelli, he he became not just one more COVID-19 statistic, and he wasn't trying to be a hero, but he simply, he died simply as someone who understands what it means to be resurrection people, what it means to be resurrection people. And this is why, you know, this is why for us, we have to ask the same question. What does it mean to show love? How do we show love? That's why we're not having church right now. We're actually showing love by, by keeping our distance from each other so that we don't care for other, we don't uh, make other people sick. So unless you're somebody who is, you know, going into the hospitals right now uh, to, to care for the sick, which would be a heroic Christ-like thing for you to do, um, the way we show love is by calling our neighbors, checking on our neighbors, dropping off supplies to people who don't have enough, right? And yes, keeping our distance from them right? Uh, because we don't want to be reckless. We don't, we don't want to actually infect healthy people uh, just in the name of civil rights or something like that. Uh, Jesus didn't infect people. He healed people. Amen? Amen. I want to take our last few minutes here and, and unpack another reason from that first scripture that we read, that story of the, the women who ran to the disciples, told them the news, and they kind of didn't believe it. I want to look at another reason why it was so hard for those first disciples to believe the story that Christ had risen from the dead. Even though these disciples had walked with Jesus for three years, they had listened to his teachings, they had lived with him, and they heard him over and over predict his resurrection. So to really understand what was going on, we have to get in the head of a little, a little bit of the average Jewish person there in Jesus' day. In first century uh, Jewish theology, that we're we were living in an age we might call the age of Satan. Here's a picture I'm going to put on, the, on your screen there. This is a picture of the standard Jewish view to help us imagine. In this view, ever since the fall in the garden, creation has been all screwed up. We're screwed up. Society's messed up. Death reigns. There's wars and bloodshed everywhere. It sounds very familiar. But they believed that one day a Messiah would come to set everything right. He would vanquish his enemies, and on that day, there would be a massive global resurrection all over the world. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, a resurrection of the dead, and all God's children who were sleeping in the earth would come back to life, and there would be a day of judgment. And then God himself would again rule the earth. Satan's reign would be overthrown, and there would be no more death, no more wars, no more sickness. And they would point to, as evidence that we still lived in this age, it would point to the fact that Israel was still being oppressed and the basic fact that people still died because in this view of the, the age to come, people wouldn't die. People would be resurrected and not die. So it's very simple. So they would say, well, there's still death, there's still earthquakes, there's still coronaviruses, there's hatred everywhere. So this is why uh, the Jews of their day, as well as many Jews today, have trouble believing in Jesus Christ because, well, they don't think he's the Messiah because if he were, by their timeline, the world would be a better place already instead of this broken creation that we live in. So what the early Christians came to understand was a revolutionary different picture of history. And we could draw it like this. Just keep this up for a little bit because there's a lot there. I know we need to look at that. 
So you still have the, the reign of Satan that gives way to the reign of God, as in the standard Jewish worldview. But the Christians understood that there is this in-between stage, right? A transitional stage. It's not instantaneous. And it's the stage where the age of Satan's reign is in transition toward the, the reign of God. And in this stage where you and I live today is one of spiritual warfare. That's why we see spiritual warfare talked about in the New Testament. This is spiritual warfare. We were created, you and I were created for the battle because we live in the age of battle. There's two kingdoms coexisting. There's the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. So there's conflict. And in this transitional period, we could say that the kingdom of God is already here. That's what Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is among you. And yet the kingdom is not yet manifested. So in one sense, Satan has been defeated, but in another sense, he hasn't yet been vanquished. There's this odd tension in that the resurrection of Jesus, it created in those, those first early Christians, and it led to a whole understanding, a different understanding, a reframing of history. And this age of the already not yet kingdom began when the Messiah came the first time. But what Jesus tells us is, is that there will be an even greater age to come when the Messiah returns, and that's when the people of God are resurrected. We, we see those stories too, those prophecies. And that is when God will reign finally unopposed on earth. There's a verse, a verse in the New Testament that really captures this tension between the, the already and the not yet in a really great way. It's Hebrews chapter 2. Let's look at that for a second. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7, it says, you have crowned them. It's talking about God has crowned them as the human beings. He's crowned us with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now notice this is past tense. We have already been crowned. We have been crowned all things under our feet. The kingdom has come. We've been reinstated as God's divine representatives in the earth. This is exciting. Under his lordship, right? And we call it the church. That's who we are, right? That's why we were originally created way back before we, we lost that under the reign of Satan. However, what does he go on to say? As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them. So he's God's already subjected all things under our feet, but we don't actually experience that fact yet. Isn't that interesting? In verse 9, it says, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels when he was here on the earth, now crowned with glory and honor. So what the author is saying here, what we have to understand, he's saying God has already been victorious. In fact, God has already subjected everything under our feet. We've already been reinstated as, to our rightful position as rulers on this earth and creation under God's authority, but yet we don't really see it. We don't yet experience it. But what lets us know that it has happened is the resurrected Jesus. That's what the resurrected Jesus shows us, that this has happened. This is a promise that will come to fulfillment. It will come to fulfillment someday. And so those, two, those Christians were saying what happened to Jesus and that glorified body of his is going to happen to everybody someday. It, we're, we're in this stage where the kingdom has already come, but it's not yet manifested, but it's just a matter of time. Time. Now, it's this concept of time that really gets us tripped up. And just as those first Christians, they had to reorient, they had to think outside the box and, and to accept this new revelation of this concept of God's timing of the kingdom, we have to do the same thing when it comes to resurrection, time. And here's why. From God's perspective, it's all been virtually instantaneous. 
Think about it. We, we serve an eternal God. From our perspective, it takes a while. Everything takes a while. But God has been around literally for eternity. And so any duration of time from God's perspective is going to feel infinitely small. When you're an eternal being, everything is infinitely, everything else is infinitely small, right? So from God's perspective, you know, there's the fall in the garden and then Jesus comes, Jesus dies, Jesus rises again, boom, there's the kingdom. Uh, it's a blink of an eye for God. But for us, the process has taken 2,000 years. It may take another 2,000 years for all we know. But it's a difference in perspective. It's a little bit like this. Let me see. Uh, I love this analogy. Some of you will like it if you're kind of a sciencey nerd like me. Uh, if you don't, just bear with me for, for a minute. Uh, but it's like this. When I turn on a light switch... The, the room is instantaneously filled with light, right? Turn on the switch, boom, it's bright. I, n- I don't say I turn on the switch and gradually the room filled with light, right? We don't say that. I turn on the light, it's instant- instantaneous. But if I was a subatomic particle, like say a muon, for instance, this is going to get nice and geeky here. A muon exists for a nanosecond, less than a nanosecond. It travels close to the speed of light. It's amazing. We just discovered these things because they like create them in particle accelerators. They exist for this infinitesimal tiny amount of time and they can just barely detect that they're there before they're gone. That's their lifespan. If I was a muon, these particles, they're, they're generated by the interaction of the solar wind and the upper stratosphere. I'm sorry, that's geeky. We'll get away. Okay. This muon particle exists for just a fraction of a nanosecond, right? Now, from that perspective, from this muon's perspective of life in the universe, it would take half a lifetime for, for the room to be filled with light. So I, I flick that switch on, turning on the light switch, and then slowly the muon would see, slowly the darkness is pushed back as the light takes over the room. Half a lifetime, right? And the muon might even be saying, how long, Lord? How long until the light reigns in this room? How long till the light shines and the darkness does not overtake it? Lord, how long? Come quickly, light photons. All right? This is the, this is the muon. Something like that. Muon, brothers of mine, step into the light. All right. Life is a muon. Well, see, it's all a matter of perspective. And so from God's perspective, light switch on kingdom comes. But from our perspective, we're like, God, it's taking so long. So to see God's perspective as the true perspective, when he says the light has come, the kingdom has come, well, we know, we know the kingdom has come. It is virtually upon us. It is here. It is now. Amen. It is here. It is now. Somebody say amen. I can't hear you, so just say it to the universe. Amen. Hallelujah. Which brings us to today, Brother Ivy. Easter in the age of coronavirus. (laughs) Amen. Or if we were the disciples a year after the resurrection, we might get together and go, well, here we are, guys. Easter in the age of this oppressive Roman Empire. Or if we were living through any of the dark, dangerous times that have filled the last 2,000 years, we would encourage each other and say, brothers and sisters of the kingdom of God, it is Easter. The light has been turned on. Let's go be resurrection people. Let's go tell the world the good news. In other words, the time for waiting is done. We don't wait. 
We don't wait for the world to get its act together. Resurrection people don't hide out until the coast is clear and life is easy again. No, 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 no. The time to start living is now. The time to be the church is now. The time to be disciples and make disciples is now. The time to manifest life is now. And, and while we grieve and we do, we grieve with our fellow humankind for what's been lost and what's continuing to be lost resurrection people, we have a hopeful story to tell that is better than what's on the news. We have a better story. We have a story of God's love and his restoration of all creation. Resurrection, guys, doesn't just happen after we die. It has already happened to all of us. Every single one of you who has put your faith in Jesus Christ, resurrection has happened to you. And every one of you who has put your faith in Christ and exchanged your hopelessness for his hope, your sin for his righteousness, your sin has been forgiven. We've been reborn. We've been reborn. Whatever happens to us from here on out, Eternal life has already begun for us. We are living eternal life. And so that frees us up. It frees us up to live more other-centered lives. Now, now we can focus on other people. We can focus on serving others, helping others, loving others, discipling others. Friends, I know this is a really different kind of Easter. I know it. And believe me, I do not like not getting to see your faces this morning. But this Easter, the resurrection message is just the medicine the world needs now. If you're with us tonight, today, this morning, and you're thinking, I've never taken that step toward Jesus I'm to become one of his followers, one of his disciples. I've never allowed that, that love of his and his light to shine in me come in and just forgive me of all the things I've done so I can live for him. If you've never done that, I just want to invite you to do that this morning. Or maybe you're out there today and you once knew God, but maybe you feel really far from God today. You know, you and God, you just feel like you haven't been on the same page in a long time. He's done his thing and you've done your thing. Today is the day. I want you to feel that Holy Spirit right there with you, tugging at your heart, inviting you to come on home to come home in this moment. All you have to do is invite him. All you have to do is surrender. That's really what it's all about. That's the word used in the New Testament is we surrender ourselves. We surrender ourselves to him. We surrender trying to get it done ourselves. We tr trying to get it done our own way, trying to figure everything out. Believe me, I've been there. When you surrender and just allow him to be the friend and the Lord that he just wants to be because he loves you so much. I tell you what, all the other things fall into place. All you have to do is surrender. Just pray, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I repent of my sins and I receive that total forgiveness because he's got total forgiveness for you. Not a single thing he's going to hold against you. He just he, he, he totally cleanses you head to toe. Just ask him to lead you in. Lord, lead me into that new life and help me to follow you all my days. And he will do so. He is so faithful. He is so faithful. And what we're doing is not trying to get you to join a religion. We're not even trying to get you to join a church. We just want you to join the family of God. Be a child of God and let him love you. Let him lead you. 
Let him reveal to you everything that you were ever meant to be and do. Hallelujah. We're going to receive communion now at this time. And so uh, if you would just take your, your bread and your cup there and uh, let's pray. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for coming, for taking on our humanity, Lord God, for taking on our sin, taking on our death. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for conquering it all and rising from the dead. And now, Lord, we pray as we partake of this communion, this Eucharist, help us to live in that resurrection power. Help us to shine with that resurrection power, to love others in that resurrection power, to be your church, your children, to spread those kingdom seeds, Lord. Keep us in your hands, Father God. Those who are suffering today from illness, I thank you for your healing. Those who are suffering from financial hardship, I thank you that you are our source. Those who are suffering from emotional isolation, distress, anxiety, Lord God, fear, I thank you, Lord God, you are our comfort. Be our healer so that we can be the instruments of healing to our neighbors, Lord God. And all God's children said, amen. Thank you. Thank you again for continuing, so many of you, to honor God with your giving, your tithes, and your offerings, that, so that we, the church, can continue to be sure and make sure that no one walks alone. No G Church family walks alone. I've told you this before, no matter how tough things get, we want to make sure that every one of our family, our G Church family, our generations tribe here, uh, we, that we're taken care of. Everybody's going to be taken care of. We're all going to get through this together. And we're doing that so that you and I can be the church to our neighbors, to our neighbors and friends who maybe don't go to church, right? So that you can, we, we, we thank God that because of your giving, we're able to take care of this tribe so that this tribe can be the church. We can be Jesus, because you are the church, amen? And uh, we said before, there's a lot of different ways to give. You can see it on your screen there. Uh, you can give online. If you're on the website, it's super easy. You can give using the G Church app on your smartphone. You can text to give, 77977, keyword G Church. Uh, that's a really easy way to do it. And you can mail it in to G Generations Church, 405 Rayford Road, 77386 in spring, amen? So, hey, guys. May you go forth and be resurrection people today and this week. Grace and peace. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.